Welcome to the Clarinet Podcast, the show about all that's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry. You can support the ongoing production of this independently produced program by donating to our Patreon at clarinet.com support. Supporters get early access to extended ad-free podcasts and exclusive access to patron-only episodes and live events. And now for today's episode of the show, Goal Setting with Jenny McClay. I've just been trying to focus on the present more than the past or the future, which is very difficult to do, actually. So I think that's helped me as a person, but especially me as a musician. Jenny McClay is the founder of JennyClarinet.com, and if you've spent any time on the internet as a clarinetist, I guarantee you've come across her website. This is her second time on the podcast, and I'm thrilled to have her on today to discuss New Year's resolutions, both hers and mine, and also how you can take part in some of her motivational boot camp series that combine interactive elements of social media with a structured practice routine that will help you stay on track. We also discuss why maybe everyone deep down is a morning person and why you should start to integrate mindfulness into your practice routines. And no matter where you are in the world, I want to wish you, your family, and even your clarinet a happy new year with successful practice. Today's episode was brought to you by the generous support of the following sponsors. Chamber Music Northwest is hosting an international clarinet celebration in competition from June 24th to 30th in Portland, Oregon. You can compete to win over $20,000 in prizes in the Young Artist Competition, take part in clarinet ensembles, masterclasses, and clarinet mentor amateur workshops, and enjoy concerts by world-class artists, including Carada Giuffredi and Jose Frank Biester. Deadline for the Young Artist Competition is January 15th, and clarinetists aged 30 or younger may apply. Passes to the clarinet celebration are on sale now, and you can learn more at cmnw.org. Dario Woodwinds has an exciting new weekly trivia show called Don't Blow It. You can check it out every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time on their Instagram channel. And if you know the right answers to the questions, you might even have the chance to win some amazing new gear. By the way, if you haven't had a chance to try D'Addario's new reserve clarinet reads, you're in for a real treat. They're using some really amazing new technology and manufacturing techniques that are helping achieve super consistent results. You can pick up a box at your local music store or head to clarinet.com reads to buy a box right now. So I'm here again with Jenny McClay, who's back on the podcast for a second round. Jenny, welcome to the show. Thank you. So since we last chatted, you've been super active, as you always are, online with your blog and also with your your Facebook uh, page there with your your uh, Jenny Clarinet. And also you've moved to Montreal. So I'm wondering if you could just quickly update me on where you're at in the clarinet world and your career and how things are going. Yeah, absolutely. So I think last time we spoke, I was in Paris. I was getting my master um, degree with Philippe Couper, the Versailles Conservatory. I finished that. I moved to the great Canadian North where I just um, experienced my first little bit of winter. I'm in Montreal at the University of Montreal getting my doctorate with Andre Moisson. And so how are you enjoying the Canadian weather during this season? I like it so far, but I realize I've only experienced about a month of snow and cold. And so I can't really talk until I've lived through a little bit longer. <laughs> the weird thing about Canadian winters for those who aren't used to them is they, you know, they get started around the end of October. It gets really, really cold. And then around December, people are like, oh yeah, it's, it's okay. I can deal with it. It's almost over. Right. And then, you know, come March, it's still cold <laughs> and you're like, oh my God, make it stop. Make it stop. That's that's definitely. I'm ready for that. Well, you know, and I grew up here, and, and when it's January, and uh, it's actually January, February is the worst to get the absolute coldest. Um, in Calgary here, it can go down to like minus forty or fifty Celsius with wind chill, and uh, it's incredibly cold. So, what are you doing to mitigate the risk and harm to your clarinets? 
I actually have a scarf. I have a scarf that's Canadian themed. It has moose on it and I wrap it around my case. I have um, a hard case that I put in an Altieri case cover and I wrap it with scarves and sweaters and I have humidifiers and I'm very careful. I don't go outside for a long period of time. I make sure that it's always room temperature before I play it. So I'm very careful because that's my worst nightmare is a cracked clarinet. Are you driving there or walking everywhere? Uh, taking the bus, taking the metro, walking a little bit, but just not exposing the clarinet to long periods of cold. Because I did hear about a new case, actually, that has sort of a plug-in and you can put in your car. I thought that was kind of a cool idea. Or maybe it's not your car. Maybe it's when you get to somewhere, you can plug it in and it warms it up slowly. It seemed like a, I think it's by Lomax. Okay, that's brilliant. I'll have to check that out. Yeah, it might be a good idea. So all that I do is I just uh, hope for the best. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty much my philosophy. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, every clarinet I've had in Calgary here is cracked at some point, Um, except for my more recent ones. Ever since I started using those, the Dairy Humidipack things, it's been great. Have you tried those? Um, I use humidity packs. I haven't tried the Dario ones yet, but I use those that you keep in the, um, the reed case. And then I put my reed cases in a sandwich container <laughs> so it's airtight and then I replace them. They make bigger ones. Um, I think they're by a brand called Boveda and then Dario sort okay. of sells them under their own name, but, but yeah, they're like a little bit bigger and they go in the case and they keep it at ideal humidity. And I, I found that's helped. Um, but, uh, man, it's just so cold here, but, uh, Anyway, so that's that's awesome. And how about your boot camps? How did your first boot camp wrap up? Uh, my boot camp was great. I think the first one I did was the Bearman boot camp about a year ago, and that one was really popular. I've done several since then. I've done the Krebs boot camp where you complete all 416 progressive studies. I did that this past summer. Since then, I'm probably forgetting a few. I've done the Ool boot camp, and then for 2019, I've created a French boot camp, which is 12 months of French etude studies and repertoire. It starts with the Rose uh, 40 studies, then it goes through different repertoire, the Rabot, the Messe and my personal favorite, the Francais Concerto. You know, it's, I think you have done three or four of them. And it's funny because I remember you invited me to the second one in the summer there, but that was, you know, just after my wife had given birth and we were kind of scrambling around for a few weeks. Mm-hmm, trying to, right. It was That's not, a good excuse. Uh, yeah, it was not my best practice uh, months. Let's put it that way. So I'm not sure. So how have people found these boot camps? You're, you're working through all the exercises and it's kind of a community environment, right? Yes. For some of them, there's more participation than others, but I think it's a really great way to not feel as lonely when you practice. I actually enjoy practicing scales and technical etudes and excerpts, but I know some people it's like pulling teeth and they hate it. So anything to make it more fun, to feel like you're suffering together, to know that there are people from around the world that are participating, that way you have this accountability where others know if you practice or if you don't practice. And for some of them, there's been really nice engagement where where they contribute fingerings or um, breathing or phrasing suggestions. So I think it's been really helpful just to not feel so alone when you're practicing and have a structured plan. That way, if you know that you want to practice, let's say the Ool 48 studies, then you have a plan and you don't just stare at the book and say, oh no, there are so many of these. Where do I start? How is the social participation occurring? Are people uploading videos or sharing comments on Facebook or what's happening? Um, it depends on the boot camp. I think the Krebs was very active. The Bearman was very active. And then the Ool was in October and November. And that one wasn't quite as active because of Halloween, Thanksgiving, different holidays. So I think it depends a lot on when I upload the boot camps and the schedules, concert schedules, school schedules, things like that. But people have been uploading videos and commenting, sharing clips of them performing. So I think that's very nice. I've noticed the same thing with the podcast. It seems like just some seasons are a lot less sort of uh, 
I don't know, active than others. And maybe people just go and binge listen, <laughs> you know. And for those who've never taken part in one of your boot camps, like let's maybe walk through where, where do you start and what's happening when you're sort of in the middle and how do you know when it's over? Right. That's a good question. So for all of the boot camps, I choose a book, a piece, um, something to work on. So let's say the Behrman bootcamp, which is the first one. I started that for myself. I had never gone through the entire Behrman Opus 63 Division 3. I never finished that scale book. And so I made a practice plan where you can finish the entire scale book in a month. If you did these exercises every day, you would finish in 31 days. So I created that and you would go on day one. It would have the outline. You need to practice lines X, Y, and Z or whatever the case may be. And then you would practice those. And I created a Facebook event page where you could communicate with other people that were participating in the event. And so each day you would have specific instructions. I would give advice, tips, tricks, suggestions, anything like that to help along the way. And then by the end of the 30 days, or in the case of the UL, the 60 days, you would be finished with the entire book. So I organized a book or a piece in a very manageable way where you take a chunk at a time. So the theory that the social element of the practicing helps you stay motivated is pretty, uh, it seems sound, but how's it working in the real world? What's the feedback been from, from people who've tried it? I think the feedback is good. I know that um, participation does depend on their schedule, but for the people we've had, we've had some loyal boot campers that participate in everyone. And I think they really enjoy the experience. They enjoy getting to know other people. I know that I've certainly met people from around the globe that are participating in the boot camps, And so I think it's nice to meet other people, to be accountable to other people, and also just to practice and feel like you're not so alone. And if so people want to take part in this, themselves, um, where can they head to and how do you get started? Right. So if you want to try any of the boot camps, they were scheduled during specific months. Um, for example, the crap shows this last June, I believe, but they are still on my blog, which is jennyclarinet.com. And once you go there, you can search boot camp and it should have a list of all of the boot camps that I've done. You might not have the social element now, but the Facebook events are still on Facebook. You can print out the boot camp calendar and the guidelines, and you can still use the boot camp template any time of the year. So if one of your New Year's resolutions is to complete the Behrman book, you would just print the guideline and the calendar, and then you could start on January 1st and you would have the 30 or 31 day practice plan and you would finish in that amount of time. So they are still very much available for anyone that wants to complete them, but they don't have the same social aspect because when I created them, it was with the Facebook event page and I would encourage people to spark conversations, but the plan is still online. So if you're late to the party here, you can still take part in all the original ones. Right. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So this is kind of the group goals that you've been setting for your community. But what about your personal goals? What's the next boot camp coming up and, and where do you see yourself in the new year as far as your personal practice? For the next boot camp, I do have the 2019 French clarinet boot camp available for anyone that wants to purchase this. The difference between this and the previous boot camps, this one is available for sale. The others are free, but since this one is the entire 2019 year, it's 12 months, it costs $12, $1 per month. So if you are interested, you can contact me through my website, contact me on social media. Um, so that's the next one. I have a few more free ones planned for 2019. I am planning on doing maybe the Yettle, the Yettle scale book, which I've never done before. I have some other ideas for scales, technique, and etude books that I'd like to do. But as far as personal goals, I 
would like to keep writing on the blog. My New Year's resolution this year in 2018 was to write one blog post every week. And so far I've succeeded. So I think I'd like to do the same next year. For practicing, I would like to practice as much as possible. Of course, nothing new there. And just play as much repertoire as I can, specifically more modern music by more modern composers, which is something I've previously shied away from. So I'm hoping to fix that next year. What was the hardest part about achieving the goal of writing the blog post weekly? Writing the blog post weekly. (laughs) There were some weeks when it was really busy and it would be Friday or Saturday and I would think there's nothing that I want to do less than write this blog post. But then as soon as I start writing, I get really into it. I love writing. Once I actually do it, it's just finding the time was the hardest part. I can't remember what book it was that I read, but it was something um, that talked about when there's something that you don't want to do. And even me, I get this way with the podcast. Like I love doing the podcast, but sometimes just sitting down is the hardest part. Like just getting in the chair and turning on the computer. And I I don't know why. So, but there's this book I read that talked about, just give yourself five minutes, make yourself do it for five minutes. And then if you want to, you can stop. But what ends up happening is that usually if you put in five minutes, it's really easy to put in 15. It's really easy to put in an hour and just get it done. You know, Um, And I found that that's something that really helps me just sort of almost tricking myself being like, yeah, let's just do this for five minutes and come on, you know, come on down. Let's work on the podcast, you know? (laughs) Yeah, that would be a good book. I've heard that before. Um, Like the hardest part about practicing is opening the case. The hardest part about blogging is opening the website, starting the article and podcasting is just sitting down to do it. Yeah. Yeah. And even with like practicing, I've had students tell me before and I can totally relate. Um, I fall victim to this now, but the hardest part is actually putting the clarinet together and, and playing that first note. Like once you're there, it's easy. Um, so I, I used to advise students like get yourself a clarinet stand, go home. First thing you do when you get home from lesson, put your clarinet together and set it on the clarinet stand, put it in the corner of your room. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's great advice. Yeah, because with the plastic clarinet, maybe even they throw a plastic reed on there. I mean, they could just pick it up and noodle here and there and there's no barrier to entry for the practice time. <laughs> but when you get home and you're kind of just unpacking everything, just get it together. And I know that's kind of questionable advice, especially if it's a wooden clarinet and you've got a dog at home or something like that. But <laughs> It but, might be uh, a little bit more tricky. Yeah, yeah. So that's excellent. So I think this is so inspiring the way you've, you've put all this together. And uh, I definitely do hope that, that people do take the time to follow you along with these boot camps and, and get some good practice in. I hope so. That would be great. What other elements of you say you're going to work on your personal practice, but how do you structure your practice sessions? It depends on what I have coming up, but typically the way I structure my practice sessions, I try to practice first thing in the morning because the longer I wait, it stresses me out. I'm sure you've had the same thing where you know you have to practice and then it hangs over your head all day and you think I really need to practice. I need to practice and the anxiety levels just increase as the day wears on. So I always try and practice as early as I can in the morning with a nice cup of coffee or tea in hand. That's, um, I think you said that once, what's your warm up is a nice cup of coffee (laughs) and that's true for me. Um, so I always try and practice early. I always start with long tones and then after that, some kind of scale or technical studies. And then it just depends on the repertoire. I usually lay out on the floor or on a desk or something like that, all of the music that I need to practice that day. And then I usually go with what's most pressing. So if I have a concert the next day, that obviously gets the importance of that day. And then maybe some pieces that are a little bit further out. I wait until later in the practice session. I break it up. I take breaks stand up and stretch. And that's about it. It really just depends on what I have on my plate at any given moment. 
I love that advice to get it done in the morning because there's such a, a freedom to completing a task and having the rest of your day to do whatever it is, either go to work or, you know, meet a friend for coffee or whatever you want to do and be free of that burden of needing to do something later. Yeah, it's so true. The clarinet, I love practicing it, but it's terrible. I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate. Just having that feeling that weight on your shoulders that you know you should practice, but for whatever reason you're waiting, you can't practice. And personally, I don't understand night practicers. That would stress me out so much to have to wait all day and then practice at night. You could be tired, you could be hungry, you could be whatever. And if you don't practice, then you have to wait until the next day and start over again. Someone once said to me that there's two types of people, morning people and those people who don't know that they're morning people. (laughs) (laughs) I believe it. Yeah, because everybody like actually functions better in the morning. And you might say, well, I'm not a morning person, but you can't be if you stay up till two in the morning and try and get up at six, right? You got to, you got to set a better bedtime. And personally, I'm horrible at this. And one of my worst traits is that I'm an an evening person. I've tried to switch it for years. Um, But, you know, I'll oftentimes let the, the weight of something I need to do hang around all day long. And then I find that it's one thirty in the morning and I'm just getting to complete it and it feels great, but now I got to go to bed. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah. There's no time to do anything else to relax, to do what you want to do. It's just what you have to do. Well, and it's actually really poor time management because a task that maybe takes 90 minutes, it takes maybe longer because you're tired, but plus you worried about it all day, mm-hmm. you know? So I wonder if musicians are more likely to do this, though, because of our career. I mean, most of the stuff that we do do happens in the evening, like teaching or performing or anything like that. That's true. Yeah, I'll have to put that up in the community on Facebook or something and figure it out. Yeah, I'll keep my eyes out. Some of those polls have had pretty funny results. I mean, a while ago, I put up a poll and I said, uh, which type of ligature do you prefer, inverted screws or screws on the front? And um, I think it was like 97% of people said inverted screws and... Was it you? Somebody commented and said, you know, why does this poll even exist <laughs> or something like that? <laughs> that wasn't me, but that's a oh, great no? comment. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I didn't know that it was uh, that clear of an answer. I mean, I didn't know that either. Yeah. I mean, if if the screw on the back is so obvious, why is it that all student clarinets come with standard ligatures with the screws on the front? Right. You know? Why even bother? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I students clearly could figure out just to put them on the other side. So I don't know why all student clarinets come with, with ligatures like that. It's super weird. I don't know. That is weird. <laughs> so who are you studying with now that you're in Montreal? Uh, Andre Moison. And, and how are those lessons going? What have, what are you, uh, what have they been like? They have been really incredible. He has a very unique way of teaching for me. He focuses a lot on mindfulness and really the mental aspect of performing a lot. And I enjoy them because we do talk about the clarinet, but I think I'm at the level now where we don't necessarily have to talk about fundamentals, about embouchure or articulation. And there definitely is a time and a place for that. But we focus a lot on maybe yoga or meditation or more mindful playing and getting into a good mental space to perform. So I think that's been really beneficial so far. So I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit, because in the Clarinet Book Club, for example, we just finished reading the inner game of music. And that talked a lot about mindfulness for musicians and with performing and practicing. So so what has that meant for you and how has it affected your your playing and practicing? For me, mindfulness is just getting into a good mental space before you perform. I have been guilty in the past before I perform of rushing in to the start of a piece where you don't necessarily take the time to take a few deep breaths and 
physically and mentally prepare yourself for what's to come. I'm very lucky. I don't get nervous when I play, but I do get excited. I get anxious, I think, um, about the mistakes that could happen. And so it's allowed me to calm down let's say the extra noise in my mind where you think, don't do this, do this, try this, make sure that you don't do this. And it's been very freeing. And it's something I've been meaning to do for a while actually is practice meditation, practice yoga. So I just started doing a little bit of that and it's helped a lot. And I know they do have classes for yoga for musicians or things like this, but I think it's something that every musician should explore further. Was there a book or anything about meditation that you've been advised to read or that you have been following or... Um, not in particular. I actually started with, uh, I think it's a 30 day yoga challenge. There's a YouTuber and I can't remember her name right now, but there's a free 30 day video trial on YouTube where you can follow this one woman who teaches you yoga for beginners, which is what I am is still an absolute yoga beginner. And so they have 30 days of that. And I'll admit I've only done a few days. I haven't completed the actual 30 days. So I'm dipping my toes into this. And then for mindfulness and meditation, I know there are several apps and I haven't delved into that territory either. I've just been trying to focus on the present more than the past or the future, which is very difficult to do. Actually, I like to keep lists and I'm always thinking about, I need to do this. I have to do this, do this, this, this. And it's hard for me to just sit still and focus on one thing at a time. So I think that's helped me as a person, but especially me as a musician. That also ties in really well to our sort of conversation today about New Year's goals and, and practicing. I'm really bad for that too, you know, it's, and it's weird because you spend your whole life living in the moment, but it's the hardest place to be. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, why? I wonder why that is. I mean, I'm really, really bad too for just keeping lists and, and you know, I get the things done on the list, but I mean, I don't know where I was when I was doing it. You really get kind of removed. It's a strange experience. You multitask. I think social media technology, they're great, but it's so hard to just unplug. There's always notifications and emails and pop-ups and messages. And it's nice to have this kind of connected environment where you can reach out to people from around the world any time of day or night, but it's also really stressful. I don't know about you, but I am inbox zero. I'd, I'd like to have zero notifications and that's not always possible. So I get stressed just trying to make that happen. And it's hard to just live in the moment because I'm always so busy trying to just reach that inbox zero lifestyle, nothing on the to-do list, nothing in my inbox. Yeah. I've had to just accept that the inbox has things in it, you know, like it's there's sometimes so many things to do in there. It's just going to take uh, months to, to actually sort through some of them. Like, you know, maybe a podcast guest has wanted to come on and I've just got to kind of leave it in there until I know I can deal with it. And someone once told me to sort things, to try and zero out your inbox every day and sort things into a to-do folder. But I find myself just moving past it and I, I never really get back into that to-do folder correctly. So right. there's never a day where you go back to that to-do folder. Yeah. It's, it's hard to do because you've got so much else to do. Right. And it's one of the weird things about social media and life today too, is that I find, and this is really annoying for me. I, I was the kind of person who, when text messaging came out, I absolutely hated it. And I still don't really like it that much. Um, when I first started doing all that stuff, I found it really distracting all the texting and things back and forth. And I also couldn't understand why people would want to text back and forth 200 messages over an hour instead of just talking on the phone for five minutes, you know, and it gets, it gets really bad with email these days too. It's crazy. The best advice I got about emails actually was in a book called The 4-Hour Workweek by Timothy Ferris, maybe his name is. Have you heard of this book? Okay. No, I haven't actually. I'm writing it down now. It's actually kind of a bogus book in a lot of ways, but, oh, okay. <laughs> but there was a few pieces. Of, well, I mean, he, he sort of 
advocates some weird stuff like outsourcing your job and it's just an odd book. It's not for everyone for sure, but there's some good time management things in there because his idea is basically that like people spend way too much time working and tasks expand to fill the time that's given to them. So if you give yourself the whole morning to do your emails, it's going to take the whole morning. But if you give yourself 25 minutes, and that makes sense. Yeah, it's going to it's you're going to find a way to do it quicker. And uh, I can actually definitely attest to this having had a kid now is because I was like, how am I going to get anything done? And the answer is I just waste way less time. I'm way more efficient. I found way faster ways to do almost everything. But anyways, his advice about emails was to do them once a day, set a time that's the same at every single day, four o'clock. Maybe you just turn on your emails, you respond to as many as you can, and you try to zero it out in that time and then move on to the next day. I tried it for a while. I, I would only turn on my phone emails at 4 p.m. for a few weeks, actually. It was amazingly hard not to refresh constantly, 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 constantly. But it drew attention to me and made me more mindful, if you will, about how many times throughout the day I'm actually checking my emails. It's hundreds of times. Right. It's so many times. It's hard to just unplug from that because you see the notification, you feel it vibrate or the notification goes off. It's really distracting. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole, this whole idea of multitasking is just totally a myth. I don't believe that anyone can really multitask like they, they think they can. So Anyways, well, thank you so much for sharing your sort of uh, your long-term goals as well as your short-term goals and also how you're helping other people achieve their goals. I think that's that's really excellent. And I do hope that everybody does take part in one of your boot camps and checks out your website at jennyclarnet.com. Thank you so much again, Jenny, for coming on the podcast and we'll have to touch base again soon. Yes, thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Clarinet Podcast. Show notes for this and all other episodes can be found at clarinet.com. While you're there, don't forget to join our email newsletter for free updates, exclusive offers, and a chance to win giveaways. Guests' requests, listener feedback, and comments can be sent to feedback at clarinet.com. Special thank you to our season sponsor, Dario Woodwinds. Don't forget to check out their new show, Don't Blow It, on Instagram, and also try a box of their new reserve clarinet reads next time you're at the music store. The show is also brought to you by Chamber Music Northwest. With over $20,000 in prizes and world-class guests, artists, and vendors, their upcoming clarinet celebration and competition is an event that you don't want to miss. Learn more at cmnw.org. Clarinet is made possible by listeners just like you. You can support the ongoing production of this independently produced program by donating to our Patreon at clarinet.com support. Supporters get early access to extended ad-free regular podcasts and exclusive access to patron-only episodes and live events. This program was produced and hosted by me, Sean Perrin, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Music performed by Michael Lowenstern. Debate episodes co-hosted by Andrew Morrow. Audio editing by Brian Chappells. And copy editing by Megan Taylor. That's all for now. Be sure to tune in next time for more of what's new and neat with clarinet, with the neatest people in the industry, on the Clarinet Podcast.